JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline Basketball News. It's our good friend Evan Sidery joins us here. Evan, how you doing? Doing great, John. How you doing? All right, so who's going to get traded? Who's going to get traded? But you know what? Before we start there, I'm going to go ahead and let you lay all that out in your thoughts. But in terms of of Miles, and obviously for Miles on the team, it was not a good night. Miles got a little bit loose on the bench because he didn't get the ball. I like that. Don't get me wrong. I like that. That is certainly new to the persona, new to the personality for Miles. But if if you were looking at the numbers you would expect Miles to get in an extension, if that's the direction that Kevin Pritchett and company here end up going, what would be the numbers and would it be anywhere in the ballpark, for example, of that offer sheet that DeAndre Ayton signed out of Phoenix last summer? I believe there is a little loophole the Pacers could do if they did this before the extension deadline where they could offer him a huge lump sum up front add on to his salary this year. And then the next couple of years after that, they can give like 18 to $20 million per year and come out probably close to that, to be honest. And I believe Tony East of, of Forbes has covered this as well. But that little loophole in the contract, I think they have until March 1st or the end of February to do that. That could be a good way of doing that as far as allocating the money in that way to save some money long term. But as far as value goes, Turner's shown throughout this season, John, that he's a consistent 18.89 rebounds, three, two or three blocks a game, a, a good three-point shooter, meshing well with Tyrese Halliburton. I think with his age, too, he's going to command a lot of money on the open market pace to let him get to that. And that's the big question to me is if, he do, if they do let him get to the open market, how are they going to win against other teams in bigger markets that have maybe a closer chance competing and believe that Miles is that last piece of the puzzle there? Because there's going to be a lot of teams this year in a weaker free agency class that Miles is going to be getting a lot of attention. Evan Sidery, Basketball News on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And this also has to do with what Miles may end up wanting, too. I mean, maybe he wants to get to free agency. Maybe there's really not anything uh, within the bounds of reality here, I guess, from a Pacer standpoint that would keep him from wanting to jump out there and make himself, you know, one of the targets on this open free agent market, I guess, coming up here in the offseason. I mean, it also does come down to that decision-wise, too. Absolutely. I think it's all just about what Miles wants to do because in Indiana, if he does stay here, he's a – a firm core piece next to Tyrese Halliburton, next to Benedict Matherin. He's that new veteran leader in the locker room. He's done well in that role throughout this season and done great next to that young core. But I could easily see Miles going to a, like a Dallas, for example, or a Los Angeles and really thriving there. And that's the big question to me, John, is if Miles says no to an extension, we have to the trade deadline. I, I think you have to deal on. I know it's a tough total swallow there, but 
I just think the risk of him walking for nothing at free agency for a team like Indiana, you simply can't roll the dice there and hope for the best. It's uh, Evan Sidery again of Basketball News via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We've also brought up Buddy Heald. What's the market look like for Buddy Heald? I don't think he's going anywhere, nor do I believe he should go anywhere. But let's just say for S's and G's here that there is some interest. What does the return on a guy like Buddy Heald and the numbers he's put up and what he's looked like this season, what does that return look like to you? Yeah, similar to Miles, Buddy's definitely improved his trade value around the league this year, and I could easily see a contending team that thinks they're close giving up a late first-round pick in this year's draft or a future first-round pick for Buddy Heald. Like, shooting is not going to age. We've seen it before. Guys can play to their mid-30s at the level that Buddy Heald is and still shoot 40-plus percent from three. So I think it's a unique situation that Buddy Heald is in right now. He's a great veteran role leader for the Pacers, but Pacers could also capitalize on his best value right now. Who knows if this continues for his hot streak with Buddy Heald over the next year or so. So this could be the prime time to deal in. But like you mentioned, John, he's fit so well next to Tyrese Halliburton. He's fitting really well next to Benedict Mather and the rest of those core. And it's an interesting question I never thought about leading into the last couple months. But with the way that Chris Duarte is playing post-injury, I do wonder if maybe he's the odd man out leading up to the deadline instead of Buddy Hield. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of working parts right now. And I think that it, it, it probably... Uh, for lack of a better description here, the water's a little bit more polluted right now considering the injury to Halliburton and what we thought. I, I think we've kind of been back and forth on this a couple of times. Certainly, you didn't feel when they started winning, got five games above 500, that they were going to go with a similar blueprint as what they might have at the start of the year. But you know, given this losing skid that certainly could maintain coming up Friday and Saturday night as well, as long as Halliburton's out of the lineup, do you think that they rethink their rethink if they have done that as far as the blueprint and the approach that they take to the trade deadline? I think you have to still be fluid in the situation right now because if Hal Burton does return within the next, let's say, seven to ten days, you make a little bit of a run the next couple of weeks and stay at the 500 level. Maybe you do convince yourself you make a, a win-now type of move or a long-term move for a power forward of the future to pair next to Miles and, and Tyrese and the rest of the guys. But if Halliburton remains out, if Miles Turner doesn't sign that extension, I think you have to do a little bit of a reset here. And when we look at the schedule coming up, John, it is a murderer's row for the Pacers, especially if there's no Tyrese Halliburton. Just real quick, I'm going to go through the games here. Denver, Phoenix, Chicago, Orlando, Milwaukee, Memphis, Lakers, Sacramento, Cleveland, Miami, and Phoenix. Maybe one or two wins in that stretch, John. I got to, that's a tough one to go through, especially without Tyrese Halliburton. I think these next couple weeks will kind of decide what Indiana does here in Pivots. Trade deadline-wise, what are you looking at? I mean, names, places, what do you got for us about three weeks clear here? Yeah, I think everyone's circling around the bad teams right now, which is Charlotte, Houston. Maybe you see some surprise names like John Collins and Atlanta has been in rumors forever now, but – Maybe like an Eric Gordon in Houston. He's been rumored out there a lot in league circles as a guy that Houston could trade finally, and he's been wanting out the last couple of years. I think also Kelly Oubre in Charlotte, maybe Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward as well. The Hornets are the worst team in the NBA right now. They're tanking for the Wembenyama sweepstakes, so I could easily see them kind of replugging all those holes there and kind of just resetting for the future around the mellow ball and their top draft pick this year. But it seems very quiet this year at the deadline, John, because of the Rudy Gobert trade, because of the other trades this past year with DeJounte Murray using an awful lot of draft picks. Teams are holding on to that value now. I think they can get that now, and that's simply not the case. So it, it's kind of just course-corrected the value in the NBA with how big those deals were and what teams expect now. Because, for example, OG Ananobi in Toronto or Pascal Siakam, 
the Raptors want two to three or four first round picks for those guys. Like the market now is so pick heavy with these trades in the past that it might be tough for teams to make deals right now. All right, Evan, is there a team or teams in this case, plural, that absolutely have to make a deal? Have to going into the trade deadline? That's a really good question. I, I think a couple teams stand out to me, and, and one surprisingly is in Phoenix, uh, where I used to be at. And the Suns right now, they've been going through an awful stretch with injuries. Cam Johnson will be back in lineup tonight, as will Chris Paul. But they're under 500. They're currently in the lottery. And that DeAndre Ayton contract we talked about all throughout the summer, John, he's not looking great at all in that new deal. He could be someone that could be traded uh, his deadline uh, around the deadline or in the offseason. So I think Phoenix is a team that needs to reset a little bit, as does Atlanta. I think Philadelphia is also a win-now team. Joel Embiid, the way he's playing, I think you got to make a win-now move with him and James Harden. So these teams on the on the margins here, as far as championship contenders or teams that are selling, those are the teams you got to watch out for to make potential deals together. How's uh, Aiton looked to you? I know you're no longer in Phoenix, but how has he looked to you You know, after getting, I guess, that shot of motivation of that return to Phoenix after signing that offer sheet here? Uh, we know, and I don't know how much of that had to do with uh, you know, Miles, and I think it's more Halliburton than it is you know, being in a contract year, or, you know, having signed his, I guess, replacement to an offer sheet in the summer, but how has that affected Aiton and his play so far this year? Yeah, watching and talking to people within the organization, it's been kind of a, an awkward little dance right now between Aiton and the Suns because the, the relationship between Aiton and Monty Williams, we saw that spat in the postseason last year. They're still getting back on good terms. It's been kind of awkward here and there between those two. Obviously, the injuries have played a part in Aiton's role. And, but the unfortunate part here, John, with what I think it was kind of a smart idea for the Pacers looking back on now to force the Suns to match because – now, with the way that Aiton's playing, he has regressed this year. He's stagnated. He's been the same guy the last two and a half years, which is why I was kind of hesitant to put him back in Phoenix long term because I don't think he's a good fit there with Booker and Chris Paul trying to win right now. And now they're in a situation paying him 30 to $35 million a year in the next four or five years that that contract's not looking good right now. And you have to consider the what you can do with that. And I think Aiton and the Suns are, are just in a really awkward spot right now. All right, you look at the rookies, and obviously one here in Benedict Matherin playing at a high level. I mean, going through some rookie bumps, don't get me wrong, but certainly consistently at a high level. Where, where's he ranking right now as far as the rest of the rookies in the NBA from what you've seen? I would definitely put him in the top two for sure. I think it's been him and Paolo Bancaro all year long. I think Paolo's a pretty much a shoe-in for rookie of the year just because the numbers he's putting up. I know what Matherin's doing is even more impressive, in my opinion, come off the bench throughout most of the season. But when I saw Matherin up close throughout this offseason and throughout preseason and the regular season at Gamebridge Fieldhouse this year, he just looks the part. Uh, he is a guy with a mentality that he knows this is – it's my time to shine. This is my team. He just presents himself with an extreme confidence that you need to be a franchise-level player. And that's what stood out to me immediately was his confidence, his aggressiveness on the offensive end. He just fits right away in the NBA, and he's looked incredible in some stretches. Obviously, he's going through a rookie wall a little bit here and there and being inconsistent, but long-term, I mean, the early indications are that Matherin and Halliburton, it's going to be hard the next two or three years, John, to find a better long-term backcourt duo in the Eastern Conference when the rest of these teams start to age out a little bit. All right, Evan Sider, what's been going on with basketball news? I'm assuming this is one of your fun times of year when you get near the NBA trade deadline. You got a lot of stuff working? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We have a lot of coverage over on BasketballNews.com covering all the NBA trade rumors. We'll keep you guys up to date on that as well. I'm excited, though, because this is the time of year where we're going to be seeing a lot of rumors, a lot of transactions. I do wonder how Indiana is going to be in that front, so it'll be fun to watch. 
I appreciate you, man. Good to have you back on because whenever you're on, we know we're talking about trades or free agency or something like that. So it's always very entertaining and enjoyable. I appreciate you, man. Absolutely, John. Anytime. Really, think. thanks a lot. You got it. Evan Sidery right there. Uh, basketball news. He became a staple over the summer because he was actually in Phoenix covering the Suns and also were working for Basketball News, and then that Aiton thing popped, and we had him on often during the summer talking about that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Meantime, college hoop later on tonight. It's a big one. couple of road tests for both IU, IU and Illinois. And the Boilermakers, the third-ranked Boilermakers on the road in Minnesota. And joining us to talk about that from the Big Ten Network, the former Boilermaker, Rafael Davis, is with us. I want to start right here. Uh, I talked to Matt Painter earlier this week, and this is what stands out to me about this Boilermaker team is it's one thing to get Big Ten road wins, and as you would know, that is incredibly difficult. But to get that done in the process of winning those games in one-possession games, that doubles down, I think, on the toughness and really credit where credit is due on the Boilermakers being able to do that so far. Right. No, they've been impressive, and Coach always told us the good teams, they win the close ones, and that's what Purdue's been able to do, have poise down the stretch and Coach would always say, when you go on the road, Purdue can't beat Purdue. Purdue can't go on the road and have 15, 17 turnovers. They can't get out-rebounded by 10. Just can't make silly mistakes. And Purdue hasn't beat Purdue in these last few games. Even the Rutgers game where they lost, Purdue didn't beat Purdue. Cam Spencer just made a great shot. So the poise this team has down the stretch, that's been what's impressive to me. And that's what we've seen. Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network, the former Boilers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And you, know, you from obviously Edie, who right now is the front runner for college basketball's player of the year, and then Fletcher Lawyer, from a freshman standpoint, it, it seems like yeah. that you feel pretty confident with either end of the spectrum here on this roster of getting the job done in late game situations. Yeah, Fletcher's been big time. And I've been. Uh... Really impressed with Fletcher. I mean, I knew he was a good player. Knew he had a, some dog in him and the moxie just for him being from Fort Wayne and seeing him in high school and whatnot. But what's been most impressive to me over these last few weeks is that normally around this time, Christmas, Christmas break, coming back into January, freshmen hit a wall. And um, Fletcher didn't start out shooting the ball great this season, but he's really picked it up and hasn't hit that wall. And the last – three, four games in the second half of those games, he's been big time. Whether it's just him picking up fouls in the first half or just him simply not playing well, he's been able to go to the go to the locker room at halftime, regroup, refocus, and really come out in the second half and ball out. He's four figures in the second half each of the last four games. Shot it at a very high level from three. I mean, that he, the Rutgers game, he hit the go-ahead three that you thought would win the game. They came with Spencer Knox one down. He wins the game at Ohio State. And then at Michigan State, he was just unbelievable. I mean, the final four minutes and 15 seconds, Fletcher Lawyer accounted for 14 straight points, whether it was him assisting on it, getting the ball where it needed to go for a bucket, or him just simply scoring the ball. And then Coach put Fletcher into action to win the game on the road, tough environment. Fletcher got the ball five feet out. 
I mean, coach preaches, you don't post feed from 35 feet out. You don't post feed from above the free throw line. And uh, Fletcher made just an amazing, amazing basketball play uh, as to the rim for, the, for uh, Purdue to able to win that game. So, I mean, Fletcher's been uh, he's been unbelievable. But the poise and the confidence and the ability to regroup in-game isn't big time. A lot of freshmen, they struggle in the game, and they got to regroup in practice. Not a lot of freshmen can regroup in the game. That's some upperclassman stuff right there. You know what, Ray felt too, on that final play for the Boilers, that game winner by Edie, and the 10 seconds, you had two freshmen in the backcourt. Um, yeah. they, they were the ones orchestrating that. And the thing that stands out with both Smith and Lawyer to me, and I told Matt this on Tuesday, is that for freshmen, they forget about mistakes instantly. And, man, to me, that is so – and you could speak to this as a former player. That would seem to be so difficult to do. It seems like mistakes would hang on, especially if you expect so much out of yourself coming off a, a decorated high school career where things came much easier. And things like mistakes would hang with you, but it does not appear it does with these two. No, yeah, I mean, they, they have confidence and coach. He's, I mean, he's giving them confidence. Uh, Coach is really good at letting his freshmen learn, letting his freshmen play, and that's what you see with these guys. They are able to, know, they're able to see a mistake and not make that same mistake twice as well. And that's also just a testament to them, a testament to coaching. And they, they have high basketball IQ. I mean, Braden's mother and father both played ball at the collegiate level. Uh, I mean. You got Fletcher's father as a scout, his brother. I mean, Foster is averaging 16, 17 points in his own regard for Davidson. So these guys, they they know what's going on. They know how to play. And then they got a great coaching staff and great leaders in front of them. I mean, you got not only you got Coach Painter, Coach Brantley, and assistants, but you got P.J. Thompson, who is probably one of the best point guards to ever play at Purdue, uh, the best assistant turnover ratio at Purdue in the history of the university. And he can really help Brandon Smith. So they've got a big-time staff, but those freshmen, they're just big-time players. Rafael Davis, former Boilermaker, Big Ten Network, with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. IU and Illinois, I want to get to both sides of this game with you right now as well. That game coming up tonight, uh, 8.30, I believe, is the tip time from Champaign. Um, is it fair is it reality that IU and the slow start in the Big Ten at two and four, even with that Wisconsin win on Saturday, how much do you point to those two major injuries on this roster as to how slow this Hoosier team has started? I don't. I mean, I, I, I like Xavier Johnson as a as a person off the floor. He's a great kid. Ray Thompson, the same. Great dudes, and I, and I like those guys. So. I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but, I mean, they were struggling even when those guys were in the lineup. I mean, you think about the Arizona game, the Kansas game, those guys played. I mean, and they got – I mean, they got handled. And so I get they had some injuries, but that defense was bad before those guys went out. And they lost games before those guys went out. And I don't think they were living to the expectation – well, not living, but playing on the floor to the expectations that Coach – has set for them before those guys got injured. But when those guys do go down, I mean, it it really hurts your team. They're your leaders on the floor. They're your main defensive guys. I mean, they're your tough – that's your toughness of your team and those two guys. So, at this point, it's really, really hurt the team. And you just wish the best and wish I can get healthy. But I think the wheels were starting to fall off the car a little bit before those guys went down and those guys going down. 
just really didn't help it out. Ray Fell, with Indiana, too, they get that big win over Wisconsin. And, and to me, the difference was the way they started. Brian Evans was on with me, the former Hoosier Big Ten player of the year back in the 90s, said, hey, first five minutes of either half is certainly important for any team, but especially this IU team. And you saw them come out against Wisconsin. And the soft aspect of what we saw in losses prior to at home against Northwestern, second half against Iowa, certainly on the road at Penn State, was on the defensive end. And they came out with a little bit of defensive inspiration. Is that capable of carrying over tonight is that what you expect to see in champagne i mean well i want to i don't want to rain on anybody's parade but the point that the point it can be left out that tyler wall didn't play in that basketball game and wisconsin i mean they just kind of ran out of juice and iu did defend well but i mean tjd was spirited but i mean above their defense it was the they played with a sense of urgency and that's what the indiana team i mean sometimes it felt as though they were just going out there, roll the ball out, expect to win the game. And they didn't always have that sense of urgency and that attention to detail. And sometimes they just simply went away from TJD. And you can't go away from your best player. And there were games early in this season where TJD may have eight shot attempts or go 15 minutes without shooting the basketball. And that's just, I don't think that's just sustainable for this team. And in that second half of the Wisconsin game, he gets 14 of his 18 points. I mean, he he gets, he goes seven to seven from the field. In that first half, he only had four points, and I think that's why it was a close game. So you see, in that second half, he really became spirited offensively, took the game over in that regard. Like I said, 14 of his 18 came in a half, seven to seven from the field, and then for the game, you look at his stat line: 12 rebounds, big time, five blocks, four assists. He just had one of those nights that he's going to have to have every night. So I hope their defense can carry. I mean, Indiana right now, they're they're one of the worst teams that guarded the three-point line in the Big Ten. They're 13th out of 14 teams at a defensive uh, field goal percentage guarding the three-point line. And Illinois is second in three-pointers made in the Big Ten. So I think it's going to come down to guard the three-point line. They did guard it well against Wisconsin. Wisconsin was 5 for 24, I believe. But in those three games prior, those three games prior with that Penn State, the, the Northwestern game, and the other one in there, Iowa game, they allowed teams to shoot 40% from three, and they gave up 32 made threes, 33 made threes, and that right there isn't sustainable. So if they can throw up that three-point defense and they can get TJD going for 40 minutes and he has one of those nights, that's the type of team that I think can really win the Big Ten still. Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network with us. It's a busy night across the Big Ten landscape. Uh, we'll get to a couple more of those games in a second. But who's who's the most disappointing in the Big Ten so far, according to you? I mean, I guess you just got to start with the elephant in the room, man. You just got to call a spade a spade. And although they have injuries right now to this point in the season – I mean, it's a high-major basketball team, and when guys go down, other guys step up. We've seen time, I mean, you've seen time after time, I mean, Brandon Newman gets an injury, and Jay Nivey steps up, and Jay Nivey is off to the races. And it just, I mean, that's college basketball. Guys step up when guys go down, and no one stepped up yet for this Indiana team. I think Jordan Geronimo had a great game against Wisconsin. He had a double-double. 
I think he needed that game for his own confidence, but the team needed that game from him. And he could be a really good player, in my opinion. So I think Indiana would be the most disappointing team. And it's not because of the injuries. I think it's just the lack of the lack the lack of daysicalness, the playing without a sense of urgency, uh, the defense. I thought the defense would be a lot better this season. And then, I mean, they were picked to be a Final Four contender. They're picked to be a Final Four team. I think they're 10th in the Big Ten right now. And that, I mean, just numbers-wise, that has to be the most disappointing. Number 23, Rutgers on the road at the Breslin Center in Michigan State coming up later on tonight. And, and, and your former coach had mentioned, you know, about that loss to Rutgers earlier in the Big Ten season, earlier in the month of January, I think it was, that, hey, if we were going to war, then we would stop and pick these guys up. What makes Steve Peichel's team so grinding tough, especially in big moments at the end of games? Say that again. What makes Steve Peichel's team so grinding tough, especially at big moments late in games? They got older guys. They're one of the oldest teams in college basketball. I mean, Paul Mulcahy's a veteran point guard. He knows Coach Peichel's system. He knows where the ball is supposed to go. He's unselfish, so he can get into the lane and make a play to kick out to Mawad Mag. And that's just a lot of trust in Paul Mulcahy, trusting his teammates. Because Mawad Mag was 5 for 24 coming into that game from three. And Paul McKay, he kicked the ball out to him. like He was a 40% three-point shooter. So they got older guys. And then on the defensive end, they just shut your water off. Ohio State finished the game four for 16 from the field. And Ohio State, a couple weeks ago, was the best offensive team in the country. So they know how to shut your water off. They defend at a high level. And then they execute offensively. And they have shooter and Cam Spencer that's not afraid of the moment. All right. When you back on the Big Ten Network, Rafael? I am back on it tomorrow morning and tomorrow night. All right. So, yeah, for the, the Friday night, the Friday night Big Ten. You dig the Friday night Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I, I dig. I dig any any night they um, invite me to be on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then Friday night, Friday night will prepare me um, for Saturday. Saturday I have a free basketball camp in Indianapolis. So oh, really? I'm looking forward to the well, weekend. Wait, well, you get that little bit of love here for the folks around listening. Go ahead. Oh, no, I just um, – I – I founded a nonprofit foundation up in Fort Wayne, and uh, the goal of my organization is to give youth sports to kids. And youth sports, I don't want to take too much time, but youth sports, especially youth basketball, has just become ridiculously priced. AAU is expensive. Basketball trainers are expensive. Fall leagues, camps are 300 400 bucks in the summer for a week camp. And for me, it was about how can I, how can I affect change in my neighborhood I mean, whether it be on the floor or rather be keeping the kids out of trouble. So myself, I decided to start a nonprofit. Lewis Jackson, former Purdue point guard, is helping me out. And um, the goal of the nonprofit is to combat the cost of youth sports, but also to keep the kids in safe environments. And it's called Crew Life, C-R-E-W, and the crew stands for Community, Responsibility, Education, and Will, and um we show the kids, obviously, we can show the kids that really love basketball and are good players. We can get them better in the summers. We host a camp every week of the summer, whether it be in Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, Gary, just around the state. So we have kids that are really good at basketball. They'll come and they'll work with us, and they will get better because we play at higher levels, whatever. But more, more importantly are those kids that they love the sport of basketball in fifth, sixth grade, but they're just not even – they're not going to make their high school team. They're not going to make varsity – they're going to phase out of being a player, maybe not athletic, maybe aren't tall enough. And we want those kids to still have a passion through the sport. 
without having to be a player. There's so many kids that grow up and they think, I got to go to the park and play basketball. I got to be on the AAU team and play basketball. And I got to be the player. And I think it's a mentality that you're tricked into having. You never think about, you never, I never grew up thinking about being a Big Ten sports analyst. I never grew up thinking about being a, a, a physical therapist on the basketball team or even being in the marketing department for the New York Knicks. I mean, one of my college teammates, Drew Anthem, he walked on at Purdue. He now has an NBA championship ring with the Los Angeles Lakers as a video coordinator. And these are positions that I never thought of, my friends never thought of, and we weren't privy to. So for those kids where maybe basketball isn't in their 10, 15-year in their year future, we show them other ways to stay in the sport of basketball and still be successful as a career. And that, I think, for those kids who maybe won't make the high school team and have to go home at 2.30 when school is out and their mom isn't home till 6 or 7, they don't go and get into nothing. They, they have a goal still in their head. They can still make it to the NBA without being a player on the floor. So we open them open the eyes to different careers in basketball, but then also, also we open their eyes to just different careers. And myself, I was I have that story of getting hurt, ruptured disc in my back. What does he do next? And I went into pharmaceutical sales. I worked for Eli Lilly in Georgia for four years. I was a pharmaceutical sales rep, and that was a position that I did not know about. Like I said, until I was older. So we bring in different career professionals in to talk to our kids at camp and league play, whether it's a pharmaceutical salesman, a doctor, a, a plumber, an electrician, just to – because if you don't know it, you just don't know it. So we try to open the kids' eyes because there's so many kids out there now in different areas that really believe in their head that either I make a million dollars and I'm rich or I'm going to be poor and I'm going to be in the hood. And we try and show those kids if, if this it's better for us if we can show 10, 12 kids how to go and make – $80,000, $100,000 in a career and really give that back than it is for us to have an NBA player every five, six years, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, well done. It's been a great, it's been a great time. We've, we've um, sponsored over 1,000 kids, 10 AAU programs, and Saturday we'll be at the Bethel Center in Indianapolis for a free basketball game. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, anytime you do that down here, don't hesitate to lob us a phone call here and uh, we'll give it a lot of love. A great deal oh, of admiration that. for that. That's the job well done out of you, and, and give Lewis our best too, Rafael. Thank you very much, and congratulations on everything. Oh, thank you, sir. It's uh, Rafael Davis of the Big Ten Network. That was awesome. Good for him. I've always known him to be a really good dude. That was even more solidified right there. Well done. Big Ten Network, Rafael Davis tomorrow morning and then coming up on Friday night as well. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Back to you guys in a second. If you guys want to watch, participate, listen, inside the lounge via YouTube Live, you certainly can. The Ride with JMV. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from CBS 4 and Fox 59 every Thursday in the 5 o'clock hour. It is Mike Chappell. So... Uh, we got 14 candidates apparently either interviewed or on the verge of being interviewed. If I were going to say Mike Chapel betting person, would you take the field or would you take Jeff Saturday? <laughs> 
kind of like that Tiger Woods back in his heyday. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I tell you, all I'm going to say is. Oh, man. No, I no, no, no. I, no. Don't, I don't think th- that's something they shouldn't do. I'm simply not ruling it out. So so that's where I, I, I don't know what the odds are. Uh, but I just keep, keep in mind that, 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 that this, this will come down to one man's vote. After after input from other people, it will. But just just keep in mind who, who's making the decision and his affinity for, for Jeff Saturday. Now, I don't think they should do it. I, I just don't. But I'm not one of those guys saying, yeah, he's not going to do that. Because how could he? Well, because he's the owner and it's his team and he can do what he damn well pleases. I want to hold you to it. <laughs> Sitting here right now, the field or Saturday? I'm not going to hold you to it. I'll, I'll take the field. Okay. understand. Because it's it's weird. It's such a large field. It is a, it's a very large. <laughs> Why is it such a large field? It's because when, when, you, when you're quoted as saying we will cast a large net, or is that requirements for you to go out there and, again, do that if you're going to use so that cliche? Get, this is where you get the guys in their boat and they throw the, the net out there and they come back with like 500 fish. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like I, Jaws when uh, when yeah, I mean, Brody is like chumming the, the water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think at some point you can have too many candidates. I do. I, I I think they certainly want to do their homework. And again, this is the initial interviews, and then they'll have they'll get together and say, okay, these are the five, six, whatever it is, and then they'll really hone hone in on it. And then it gets serious, more you know, real serious, I guess. I mean, it's serious now, but I, I think you can you can certainly interview too many people. I think at some point it's it's not the same. But it's, it's, I remember like like when I go to get a car, and I talk to a guy, and then I talk to another guy, and I talk to another. Guy, at some point, I don't know what the hell they're telling me because I, I get I, you know my my pea brain, I, I get you know confused. But I understand talking to a lot of different people, a lot of a lot of young guys, older guys, and all this. I understand that. But at some point, and maybe they already do. If they talk to twelve, in their mind, they really think it's five or six guys. But one thing that I found interesting that Chris Ballard told us is that when you go into this, you have got to have your eyes wide open. You can't sort of have either a, a, a guy in mind or a type in mind or whatever, he says, then you overlook people. You, you overlook a real good candidate. And the first thing I thought about was Mike Vrabel. I, I don't know why. I, it just defaulted to Mike Vrabel back when they did this before. So I, I think you go in there with an with a, with a open mind. But at some point, you, you still have to have some idea what you're looking for, I guess. I, I don't know. But, you know, but again, at the same time, I, I think you can have too many – candidates but this is where we are and again i I think there's gonna be three or four more interviews before they make a cut down don't take offense to this but i've described the perfect candidate in my belief to be somewhat like us both and that is old and crusty been there There been there and done that and so far i'm sitting my ways yeah so far i think this group needs it 
I think it has showed this past season, regardless of Jeff Saturday or Frank Reich, especially Frank Reich, that it needs it. That's why the guy that stands out to me so far is not going to stand out to anybody else probably is Dan Quinn because of the resume. Yeah. And I don't care what happened in the second half of the Super Bowl. I mean, hell, at least they were there. I would take that second half of the Super Bowl with the Colts being here now as, you know, compared to what kind of crappy season we have seen this past year but it's a guy like that who's going to have a firm grasp on everybody because to me it appears that's exactly what that locker room needs we had our, we did our podcast on fox 59 and joe hopkins and, and dave griffiths and dave always brings good insight where i i, I tend to wander but he doesn't his point is on a, a quinn or Raheem Morris is, you know, they had their chance and they flamed out and they got fired. And my only point is, well, yeah, Tony Dungy got fired too. And it worked here. So it, but his point is let's, you know, they, they, they had their chance. It didn't work. And, and I do know, and I do know that the Colts are valuing or, or they believe that there's, that there's value in, in having a guy who's done it before and can learn from what didn't go right. Now, you can argue that it didn't go right because he wasn't a good head coach. I don't know. But I do know that they think that, while that's not a prerequisite head coaching experience, they do think, people out there do think that there's value in, well, you know, this is what I did wrong before, and and I I can learn from it. And and Raheem Morris and and Dan Quinn fit that. And and then you've got these young guys who are interested. They are. You know, Jamico Ryan's. What the thing is, he's coached since. Gosh, is it seventeen, two thousand seventeen? He's not been around real long, but he's dynamic. And the the one thing I always say is, keep in mind, Raheem Morris will not be allowed to bring three Pro Bowlers with him from Frisco, and and the guys that are the hot. You know, who's it? Brian Callahan from Cincy. He's not bringing Joe Burrow with him or the receivers. So. You better be darn sure that you like what the guy does as a coach, and and yes, he gets he maximizes the the, the great talent that he's got, but, but he's not going to have necessarily that great talent here at certain positions. So be sure you like the guy and what he brings, as opposed to well, when he had when he's got really good, good talent, really elite talent. This is what he does, because in some instances, that's not going to be the case here. Who was it that had the opinion they got fired as a reason, not them? Who was it again? Uh, Dave Griff was our guy. Oh, at, Dave. Uh, it was Dave. Okay. That's a horrible opinion. Tell Dave that I said as much. Well, that's horrible. <laughs> I told him I didn't agree with him, but <laughs> he generally he generally brings a good take, and I didn't agree with that. Because I, I, th- I do think there's value in, well, I didn't do it right that time, and I can do it right this time. Yeah. Uh, I'll pass that along, maybe. Probably not. Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59, uh, along with the bad opinion, clearly, of Dave Griffiths. He's with us via the Andy Moore. Dave, I'm sorry oh, I broke you into this. I apologize. The Dan Quinn thing, and it's not like that that, that rings a huge bell, but uh, at least from the, the, uh, the 14 so far, that's what stands out to me. So, how do you think this Harbaugh thing, now that we, I guess, have officially put it to bed, 
How do you think that? Yeah. How do you think that that went down? Did that go down as they knew that he didn't have any interest? Because there was zero way, right? There was no way, as Rick Venturi would say, it would be malpractice not to have a high level of interest in Jim Harbaugh if you're Jim Irsay on down. So that had to be Jim Harbaugh saying, "All right, Indy for me right now. It's not the time and place." I do know that there was contact now. What level of contact, I don't know. I don't believe the Colts and Jim Harbaugh talk. Not certainly not face-to-face, but, you know, I, I don't think that there was direct contact, but there was contact. And whether that was Harbaugh trying to see the Colts' interest, which I think there would have been good interest, or the Colts reaching out to him to gauge his interest. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he didn't he interview with – Denver or Carolina? Well, what, I think what a, for, formally with Denver, but I think informally, right, with uh, Tepper and I Carolina? I think either one was formally. Maybe it was. I, I thought the Denver thought. one was via Zoom. Is that formal or informal? I'm not sure. Well, it's, I think it's formal because the, most of these, if not all these, have been right. Zoom and they're formal. So, But I, I do think there was some contact. Uh, but... I guess if there was, and the Colts said no, I, I just don't know that would have been the case. This sounded more like Harbaugh didn't want it to go further. I don't know. I, I'm getting that. I'm getting it all that where I know there was some type of contact, uh, but beyond that, I don't know how strong it was either way. And I, I, I just keep wondering whether Harbaugh. And I didn't see if he got any kind of an extension out of this. If he got a boost in his pay. That's generally what you use NFL interest in is, is to sweeten what you've got at your at your college. But I'm just all he's got to do is say, "No, I'm staying at Michigan." I mean, not now. I mean, forever. And I realize why they don't. But I just get tired of every year. And then these coaches, and then and then a, a coach t- takes umbrage that, that you that we ask him. You know, how dare you ask me that if I'm going to go? Well, but because you won't say no. And I understand why you don't say no. Just say, hey, I, I, I'm always listening because you have to listen because that's the business we're in. But, you know, I, 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 w- I wish this Colts thing would end soon, and it's not going to. This is going to go on. Remember Chris Ballard told us maybe mid-February, and I believe him, unless they do what some people think they might do, which, you know, we're not going to say that. But, but. I think this is going to be a long process because it's already a semi-long process. Unless they do what some people think they might do. Well, if they've already interviewed the guy that they're going to hire. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it out loud because then you'll have it on tape. And you can, no, you can I wouldn't. Mess around I, with I your wouldn't tape. do that to you. I would do that yeah, to you, other people. Yeah, you, I would not do that to you. No. Yeah. You, well, then you'd have somebody do it. would be like the Harbaugh interview with for contact with the cult. You'd have somebody do it. Yeah, I, I don't. I just I kind of wonder with the Harbaugh thing if if Ballard being here played a role at all. So, well, yeah, I uh, we because I've heard that, but it. I don't know if that's how, altogether how true. Could, how would that work out? I I don't think very well. Uh, I really don't. So because again, you've you've got to have a guy besides the owner who, who you know the, the buck stops here with the GM, and it's hard to have two strong personalities and, and and whatever the other word is I mean where you want or you, where you want and should have control at, at one spot not meaning the owner so but uh yeah we'll, we'll see where it goes I I, I, I kind of would like a guy that's 
that's been there before because then he then nothing's nothing's new to him. You know, no, nothing's a real surprise on, on what you're, you're what you're signing up for, whether it's the daily operations, whether it's practices, whether it's whatever dealing with offense, defense, special teams, all that stuff. As opposed to when you're getting a coordinator, he's been in his own little world. Now he's been really, really good in that world, but D'Amico Ryan's has, has dealt with the defense, you know, and Callahan's been, you know, he's got his plate full with the offense. So I, and as long as the guy just wasn't a complete knucklehead previously, and I guess we could argue the knucklehead level on, on, on Quinn and, and Morris, but I do think there's value in having done it before. If you had success at, at, at you know, to some level when you did it before. To Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59. He is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You're going to have to explain to me, if Jeff Saturday is the choice, how in the world at all this dynamic next season is going to work between he and Chris Ballard. I don't know. I, I, how would that make the least bit of sense? Yeah, it, it, and, you know, it, it, we've, we've got two evidence, two pieces of evidence where he wasn't in favor of it. Remember how we had spirited conversations remember when he was sitting there on the introductory one and then he told us up front when we talked to him last month how he told Jim Ursay that you know this is unprecedented and and understand what you're getting into and, and understand what you're putting Jeff Saturday in so yeah I, especially after him being the football guy that he is dealing with eight to 10 to 12, however many guys you talk with and then bring back in for the second round, their resumes are going to be better. They just are. And it's not, again, I always qualify this. This isn't meant to be a knock on Jeff. It's just that he's not done this before. Take away the last two months of the season. And these other guys have done it before. They've done it at a high level at what they do in their own little world. And yeah, I just, if you're a Chris Ballard guy who who's in his his football bunker and he, he knows how things work, he knows how things operate, and he's got ten resumes here, and you got Jeff, who great player, great great person and great personality and great leader and all that stuff, and all you've got to go on on paper is one and seven, and two or three or four games that you think, holy crap, what did I just watch? And I realize he was put in an impossible situation. I said they could have put, you know, Andy Reid in, in, in charge of that team, and they probably would have won a game or two different. They, they could have left Frank Reich in control, and Frank wouldn't have blown some of those games. He just it just wouldn't have happened. I, it just wouldn't. I don't care all the the Frank Reich haters and all that. It just would not have gone this way. It just wouldn't have. I, I'm convinced of that. So I don't – yeah, I, the hardest thing is going to be, and I don't think the owner will care because, one, you can't care too much about the fan base. I mean, the reaction. You you have to sort of be concerned, but you're not driven by it. But we were talking in the press room. The idea of him sitting up there in a month with Jeff and saying, I'm thrilled to be here, and Jeff's our coach, and this is why. And I don't know I, – I, I'm a great BSer. I'm, I'm a – I'm a very, very good writer. I'm a great BSer, and I don't know if I could sit down 
and write out beyond the leadership and you'll get things together organizationally. I don't know how I would say, but based on evidence, this is why. And again, it comes out as, a, as criticism of Jeff, and it's not meant to be. It's just that when you're thrust into that situation with nothing else on your resume, with, with a clean slate, which you come in with, that that's what you know. That's what your your resume is. And I don't know how they do it, other than if they want to do that, they'll do it. Well, and uh, how conveniently things have been blamed with this organization for a while. Yeah, I, I mean, a year ago it was. You know, Jim Irsay blaming conveniently Carson Wentz, and you can just as easily this year conveniently blame Jim Irsay because had you wanted well, to fire I, off I, with I, Jeff I, Saturday, you you do it with a clean slate after the season, and we debated all season long. By the way, too, legendary singer, songwriter, guitarist David Crosby has passed away at the age of 81. That is a big oh, musical that. story that is going on down right now. Legendary, to say the least, singer, songwriter, guitarist David Crosby has passed away at the Heart age of 81. Yeah, no doubt about that. Just uh, greatness. There's no doubt greatness right there. But, but you start, and I know a lot of people argue with me about this point, but if you start Saturday in the off season, give him a clean slate, you don't have everybody going back to how this season ended and how everything and is on the shoulders of the coach. So That's the approach they'll take is that was, you know, no one could have won in that and, and all this. And Ian, Okay, I'll, I'll argue that with you. And it will be that we're starting from ground zero. We're going to give him a chance. And like Jeff said, he said, I've got, you know, I've got my vision of what I want to do. It'll be different. There'll be significant changes. And, and that's how he will have to sell himself. That's probably what had, he had to sell himself today talking to Chris because anything else doesn't work. Well, you know, back in that game, I did that, none of that works because, it, first of all, it, 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 again, it wouldn't have mattered for the most part. But you've got to really do a sales job on how you would do things differently. And again, we've talked. There was so, something went wrong with that team at its core. It just did. Remember when Chris Ballard said that there was a, the competitive confidence was 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 really weak, and, and when they got in close games and needed something, it was gone. Well, that, that's that's deeper. That's deep. That that goes deep. And I don't know whether that's. On Frank, whether players tuned him out, I don't know. I don't know. But Jeff Saturday needs to come in, and I'm sure he did with Chris today, and he laid out his plan. This is what I believe I need to do. This is what I will do. And he and Chris Ballard, they need to get along. I mean, it sounds kind of simple, but the head coach and the GM, if they're – if they start off on different wavelengths, I don't know how it works. We've seen how, how it didn't work here at the end when the GM and the head coach didn't didn't get along very well. Now, it was okay at start, at, when it started, but, but if you start off to where the, the head coach is thrust on the GM, I just don't know how that works. Uh, but, again, it, it, this, is, this is Jim Irsay's team. It's kind of like the Rooney Rule. They've already satisfied the Rooney Rule. And people can bitch and moan as much as they want about sham interviews and all this. And, you know, I, I would argue, that, and it's true. I mean, not, not totally true because they, they've interviewed these guys uh, honestly and up front and, and, and seriously. But, you know, wherever Sean Payton goes, whether it's Carolina or Denver or wherever, well, he's, he was the guy. And all the other 
minority candidates or, or all candidates were, were, were just sort of there until Sean Payton said yes. So owners are going to pick who owners want to pick. It is, that's just, if you don't like that, then, you know, I'm sorry, but that's how business works. Not just football, but business, you know, pick any business in the city or the country and, and they're going to hire the people they want to hire. And, and it's not always right. It's not always fair. But if Jim Irsay wants to go against all norms and hire Jeff Saturday, he will. And, you know, and we can all write about it and complain about it and say, you know, do you really, do you really think what you're doing is right? But if he, if he believes in his core, that's the right thing to do. That's what he's going to do. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Mike Chappell of CBS4 and Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. This is back to Ballard for a moment, too. Would Jim Mercer still have a deep level of belief and trust and confidence in Ballard, and there would be a year seven for Ballard here. Would he have that same level had it not been for the drafting of the long-term future quarterback and the the hiring process of its next head coach? If would would, would did he maybe not want to be on the hook for both of those aspects and a general manager too? Well, I would almost argue that if you didn't trust him, you you wouldn't you wouldn't let him do it. I mean, you've got to, you've got to have so solid trust to, because what th- these next two decisions. But if he picks Saturday, there. then he doesn't have. He, I mean, do you, well, does I, he still have trust? If he picks Saturday, does he still have that level of trust? Well, I guess you're still going to have him make the, the the pick at quarterback, and I think quarter. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important to get the quarterback right than the head coach. I completely right. agree. Yes. I really do. I I've seen a lot of bad coaches succeed because they had a stud quarterback, and, and, and vice versa, where you can have a, a great coach and not because you haven't got a quarterback. So, yeah, I I I, I do. I may not answer this cor- totally what you were asking, but. I just you just have to accept the fact that he trusts him because he's putting him in he, him in charge at least until it comes to the hiring of the head coach and, and the quarterback. So uh, now again, if he they do all this and Chris says, you know, we we talked to you know a zillion guys and I really like these five, but I really really like these two, and it's Dan Quinn and and D'Amico Ryan's. And Jim says, "That's really. I really appreciate what your work did, your work you did, and you know your new head coach is Jeff Saturday. I, I don't know how the reaction is in the building, and, and and I'm not. I don't mean by people really, really having an appreciation for Jeff Saturday as a, as a person and a player and all that. So I'm, I'm saying as as a as a coach who can, who who you have total confidence. Not not that you hope, but you have total confidence can get the job done." Uh, but it, it, it's it's going to be it, it is a strange dynamic right now with with the GM and the, and the owner, primarily because the owner has has cast his his one vote in two or three situations, and that does take that just takes some of the authority from the GM. It just does. Uh, so I'm I'm curious, and, and again, if if the head coach and the GM don't, if they're not at least in the same building if they're, if they're not on the same you know page of you know all that stuff i just don't know how it works
I don't either. <laughs> I, do, I do not either. Do you like um, any of these? Any? I should say, let me rephrase. Do any of these first-timers that have been in on interviews? You mentioned D'Amico Ryans a little bit earlier, the defensive coordinator. I don't think they've talked to him yet, though. I, don't think. I, I think the plan is to, right, at, at some sure. point. He's so, on yeah, the he's, list. He's still two, on the list. The two but, guys uh, with, with the Giants. Do any of these young thinking. guys, these first-timers, intrigue you, Mike? Yeah, the Philly guy. Is it Shane? Uh, is Steichen. it Steichen? Steichen. I just, I just need to know how to spell it, not pronounce it. I... I like him, and again, they're so damn young. They just are. But so is Nick. So is Nick Sirianni. And you you know why it's working in Philly? Because they got a quarterback. Because they got a quarterback who's elite. Uh, but you, you keep in mind that when Nick went from here to there, I think the Colts lost something offensively. I do. I, I really think they they lost something of voice. But his first year in Philly, he, he if I'm not mistaken, he was a play caller. And, you know, yeah, the quarterback wasn't quite there yet. But then this year he, he's given Shane the play calling because he, because he, he, he trusts him. And, and he's got that level of faith in him, which tells me a lot. It just does. It's one that Sirianni would, would recognize that he can't do it all. And maybe head coaches shouldn't be play callers. But, but then he trusted this guy with a young quarterback and, and such a great team to be the play caller so probably him and now as long as nick doesn't say yeah go to indy where they stab my guy in the back (laughs) (laughs) well well, that's that joking oh you don't think so you don't think that he would i know maybe not in so many words but would you think he would he he give a high recommendation for this place you think you have to. Well, I guess you, you would. I guess you would. You're right. If the guy's got a, if the guy's got a chance to be head coach, yeah, you're right. He would uh, now. Maybe he would say, "Hey, you know, I don't know." No, Nick would not say. He would not give any qualification. You know, keep your head on a swivel and all that. He would not. He he would. If a guy's got a chance to be head coach, and they screwed over your buddy prior, that's why you've got. That's he why wouldn't, that he wouldn't say, "Go coach someplace else." That's for Frank. I know. I know. And by the way, I've, I've heard Frank has had really two two really good interviews with Arizona and Carolina. I mean, I was told he really knocked it out of the park in Carolina, which of course he will. Yeah, Fra- Frank will make a great first, second, tenth, twentieth impression, and I hope he gets in the right spot because Frank can coach. People here love to dump on him on play calling and all that, and. You know, give the brightest minds in the game. You know, five starting quarterbacks, six starting quarterbacks in your in your career here, and see how well you do. I just and when the offensive line can't block or doesn't block for the first half of the season, I thought Frank got a really bad a bad deal here. Maybe he needed to go after New England. Maybe because something was something was yeah, really, he, really wrong. Listen, he needed to go. Uh, we know who else needed to go. There was a lot of things that needed to go. Yeah. So, but but just don't don't. Like, you mentioned how they how Carson Wentz was a fall guy last year, and I was I I would sort of agree with some of that and a lot of that. I'm not really happy with the way all of a sudden Frank's the fall guy here. I just there was there was so much more wrong than Frank, and uh, I just I just didn't like the way things were piled on. Frank was, you know. I, I guess when I had a flat tire the other day, it was Frank's fault because he's it was he's he's to blame for everything. 
It's uh, Mike Chappell, CBS 4, Fox 59 on the Andy Moore Automotive Group. I'm way over. I better take a break, but I appreciate you every Thursday. We'll see if we're any closer coming up a week from today. Mike, thank you. We, we won't be, but I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> it's Mike Chappell, CBS 4, Fox 59.